0: the ministries of this church, Father, and, and all the different people you've called to be involved in so many different areas. We thank you for what you're doing and in the hearts of our people on so many different levels, Lord. And I want to pray specifically right now for what's going on and for what's upcoming this summer, Lord. A team right now in Zambia, Lord, I pray that you would just do a mighty work through them. Just continue to work in their hearts. Lord, continue to uh, allow them to be obedient to you, Lord, to reach those precious people and to work with those orphans. Father, we thank you for what you accomplished at Camp Viola this last week and all the seeds that were planted, Father, and all those precious children in ways that we won't understand until eternity, Lord. Father, I pray for our students right now, Lord, that are at the beach, that are hearing the truth of your word. I pray you would convict them, convict their hearts, Lord. Help them to hear from you. Father, as we have upcoming things over the next few weeks and for the remainder of the summer, Lord, I pray you would just do a mighty work. Lord, well, we don't do these things just to be doing them. We, we do these things with intentionality, Father, because we want you to work. We want you to shape lives, Father. We want you to be involved in the process of, of, of uh, Lord people changing hearts and minds. And so I just pray for all those that are involved, for what you've done and what you're going to continue to do, Lord. Father, I thank you for our time we have this morning. As we have the chance to open the truth of your word and study, Lord, I pray that we would understand and be enlightened Lord, I pray that we would have the courage and the ability to apply it to our lives. And then I pray, Lord, as we do every Sunday through the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be transformed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. As you're finding Genesis 8, I want to remind you of a couple of opportunities I alluded to just a second ago. If you came in through our breezeways this morning, you notice that there are posters up in every window. Those posters all represent opportunities for you to be involved in Mission LaGrange July the 6th through the 12th. That's in a few short weeks. And so what we're going to ask you to do is to pray about your place of service, what the Lord's called you to do, where He wants you to work, and you sign up in the breezeway on one of these posters. It's that easy. We've actually created a deal this year so you can text the number and you'll get updates on your text on your phone. You can hear more about what's going on. There's a point person and leadership involved in all these different areas. And I want to encourage you and challenge you like I did last year. I want every person in our church involved on some level during Mission LaGrange. Every person. I want you to take that challenge very seriously. I know there's work and schedules and vacation and I get all that. But we've been very strategic in kind of the way we plan this thing. And there are literally things going on at different points all through the day, all week. You say, I can't get off during the day. That's okay, there are things in the evening. You say, I work third shift. Great, there's things that we're doing in the morning. You say, I'm going to be out of town. You can do some praying for us. There's all sorts of things you can do. I want you to take very seriously this calling because we don't ever want to be a church that's willing to go to the nations but won't go to the street across from us, right? That's not who we need to be. Acts eight is a very balanced approach to missions. Jerusalem, local, Judea, Samaria, which is more regional, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so we're trying to do all these things and we need you to be involved. So I want you to pray about that. I want you to think about that. I want you to sign up for that. And I want you to be a part of Mission LaGrange, July the 6th through the 12th. Now we're going to continue our study this morning, Genesis chapter 8, in our sermon series we've entitled, In the Beginning. And if you've been with us for a while since the beginning of this, you kind of know where we are. But I like to do this each week, kind of catch us up and make sure we're all on the same page to understand kind of where we've been and where we're going. So let me just review just for a few minutes, if I could, to make sure you're on the same page as we are as we move forward now in Genesis chapter 8. At this point in our study... God has placed Noah and the animals in the ark. He's closed up the door. The Bible says the the rain has come. The great fountains of the deep has burst forth. And we talked about what that looked like several weeks ago. Enough water to cover the whole earth, cover all the mountains. And we see that the boat that Noah has built has floated for a period of several months. It's, It's been a little over a year since they started the process until it's over. The boat's floated on the water. At this point in our study, the rain has stopped. The Bible says that the Lord has opened up the fountains of the deep again and the waters run back into the earth and it's receded and subsided on the earth. The Bible says that Noah's Ark has kind of floated down and it's found itself now perched on the mountains of Ararat. Now there's some confusion here and I'm not going to talk a lot about geography, but there's not just one mountain. There's a mountain chain in modern day Turkey. Most scholars believe that's probably the location that the boat landed. So Noah sent out the animals. Remember, he sent out the raven and the dove. And we're at the point now where the waters have gone down. The rains have stopped. Noah and his family and all the animals are kind of sitting in the boat waiting on the Lord's instructions. And so we're going to pick up our story now in Genesis chapter 8, beginning in verse 15. Now something interesting is going to happen. If you're taking notes, you can make note of this. This is the first time in Scripture that the Lord now speaks again to Noah since he sent him on the boat. Now that's not a big deal for us because this has just been a few weeks for us in our study, but Noah was on this boat for just over a year. The Bible doesn't indicate whether or not he spoke to him on the boat. I tend to probably believe in my heart that he did, but it's not indicated in Scripture. So, as far as we know in the truth of God's word, the Lord spoke to Noah. Basically, when he got on the boat, he shut the door. And then, this is the first account, which is interesting to me, that the Lord's going to speak to Noah again. I want you to listen to his instructions. Genesis 8, beginning in verse 15. We have these words on the screen as well. Genesis 8, 15. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth, be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the ground, came out of the ark, one kind after another. There's that word kind. Again, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, you could go back and listen to that sermon. But we talk specifically about what that word means. It's got a very important meaning biblically. So we move now to verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And taking some of all the clean animals and the clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never Now we're going to stop there and we're going to work back through these passages and unpack this idea. But here's the first truth I want you to see that I think is important to understand not only the heart of Noah, but it helps us understand how we ought to live our lives today. Here's truth number one. The first thing Noah does is that Noah offers a sacrifice and he worships the Lord. The first thing Noah does when he walks off this boat is to offer a sacrifice to the Lord and worship. Now, we don't exactly know what life on this boat was like, but it's interesting to kind of think about. We've talked about the dimensions of the boat, the size of the boat, the the amount of animals that would have come onto the boat. We've talked about what life before the boat would have looked like. We understand the calling that the Lord placed upon Noah and his family. We understand that the Lord sent the animals and He shut them up in the ark. We understand about the rain and the flood, but there's no real indication of what life on this boat for over a year would have been like. But we do know that when the Lord had caused the waters to recede back down to the earth, when the rain had stopped and the flood was over, the Lord calls back to Noah again. He says, Noah, it's time to come off the boat and I just kind of envision this in my mind I just wonder what it must be like as that door swings open for the first time or opens down and the animals come flowing off and pouring out and Noah and his family comes pouring out I think about all the things that Noah could have done first he's been on a boat for a year now I'm going to kind of use an analogy if you have children you'll kind of understand this right if you've ever driven long distances with your family in a small little van you ever done something like that now, I've never been in a van for a year. I've never been there quite that long. I've been for a few hours. And I, I, hope, I, don't, I hope I don't sound unreligious to you, but there are an awful lot of times when I get out of that van, the first thing I do is not praise the Lord. <laughs> Being in that van for that period of time, cramped up, sometimes can be very, very difficult. And so I just kind of wonder what it must have been like. For noise. he comes off that boat. But I think it's just it's fascinating to see his heart And to see his desire, he's kind of been cooped up on this boat for a year with all these animals and all the things that took place, all the sights and the smells and the discussions maybe he had with his family. But the first thing he wants to do when he comes off this boat is praise the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a neat picture and kind of a reminder of who we ought to be? (laughs) Noah looks upon this new world and the way everything's changed and in that very moment he's thankful for the deliverance of his life. He's thankful that the Lord saved him from the flood. Now Noah's not alone in building an altar. In fact, it's interesting if you were to read through the Old Testament, you would see it's pretty common for the people of the Old Testament to build an altar. Now we're we're pre-Temple days here in our study, so there's no building that's been created at this point, no bricks that have been laid, no foundation. Really what Noah probably did was just mound up some dirt. He kind of built a small little hill here and he, he made an offering to the Lord on top of that hill. We read the same account or the same sort of a thing from Abraham and Saul and David and Gideon and Elijah and on and on the list it goes of people in the Old Testament that recognized who the Lord was, that recognized His glory, that recognized His beauty and they built this altar in order to sacrifice to Him and to say to Him, Lord, I trust You and I love You in all things. I love what John Calvin says as he... Explains to this account of Noah. He says that Noah builds this altar to celebrate the goodness of God and to give Him thanks. I think that's a, a beautiful picture. I have the opportunity in the, in the position I'm in to, to spend time with families oftentimes as they go through difficult times. And it's always neat to me to see how families react, especially when things go well. And it's a pretty common trait you see with families after something has taken place. Maybe somebody's made it successfully through a surgery, Or maybe there was a a kind of an accident. I've been with families where there was a wreck and and people were injured, but they come out okay and, and everything's fine. Or I've been with people that go through difficult times and in the end they kind of look back on it and they see how the Lord directed them. And there's a common thread that runs through all these cases. When families walk through these difficult times and they come out on the other side and things go well, they always praise the Lord. There's this common thread. They're always thankful for all the Lord has done. And that's absolutely right. That's exactly how we should respond. That's exactly how our mindset should be. That's exactly the way we should see these scenarios and situations in our lives. We should see the Lord working and praise His name for what He does. There's nothing wrong with that. But I just wonder as I look at Noah, and I understand what Noah did and what Noah accomplished, I just wonder how often we give thanks to the Lord in the day-to-day things of life. We don't have to go through a tragedy or a major life event before we can thank the Lord. Did you know that? Did you know you could find the goodness of the Lord in the day-to-day walk? You know you can see the goodness of the Lord in your family? You ever thank the Lord for what He's given you in your family? Your husband or your wife that's been faithful to you all these years, your your precious children? Maybe a a mom and dad had a conversation with a a couple yesterday as they're talking about marriage and we're kind of walking through the, the, the... Kind of the process leading up to that point, helping them understand. And I always want to hear their faith stories, and I always want to hear where where they came from. This precious girl said to me, I grew up in a home where mom and dad talked all the time, and I heard them reading their Bible, and they they prayed for me. And my comment to her was, you don't know what kind of a gift that is. You don't understand what, what a gift you have to grow up in a home where mom and dad love each other, first of all, for all these years. They're faithful to each other. They have great communication. They pray together. They study the Word together. They bring you up in the love and the admonition of the Lord. That's a gift that so many people don't have. I just wonder how thankful we are in the family that the Lord has given us. I wonder how thankful we are in the health that we have. You know, if you're not thankful for your health, go walk through the hospital one afternoon. Go walk through a nursing home one day. And see the struggles of people in life and all they're dealing with and all they have to go through, and thank the Lord you can walk. Thank the Lord you can breathe on your own. Thank the Lord that He's given you health. Just look around you and then the church that you serve in, or the friends that you have, and how they love you, and how you've built those relationships over the years, and we find goodness in those things. And we find nurture and, and love in those things. And we think to the Lord, Lord, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you you give me godly friends and an, an incredible church and people that love me and surround me. And I, I just think we need to be challenged by what Noah does here. He, he's been through this major event and he's seen the goodness of the Lord. But I think we need to be challenged to find that goodness in, in the mundane of every day. In the small things that the Lord does for us. I'm reminded of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I read this verse again last night and it just, it just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Let me read it to you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I thought, you know, we could, we could kind of build a doctrine on those simple verses. If you lived your life by rejoicing always by praying continually and giving thanks in all circumstances, I think you would be walking with the Lord in most of what you did. It's interesting to me how people struggle sometimes with knowing the will of the Lord. And they ask that question. I talk about this sometimes. How, how do I know the will of the Lord? How do I know what He wants me to do? And we talk about praying through that and kind of walking with the Lord and seeking Him where He's going to take you. But I think so many people miss this truth, and you may miss it, so listen to this, okay? Okay. Sometimes you don't need to worry about where you're going to go because the Lord has given you His will already in Scripture. This verse says, listen again, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Ready? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. See that? The Lord says you should rejoice in all things. You should give thanks daily. You should see the provision of the Lord even in the small Things Hebrews 13, 15 and 16 says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name, and do not do good, excuse me, and do not forget to do good. That's, not a, that's a bad slip. You do need to do good. I just want to be clear there, okay? And do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifice as God is pleased. You know, the Lord is pleased with us when we give to others. The Lord is pleased when we give of ourselves. The Lord is pleased when we sacrifice to Him. And we see that in verse 21. Look back with me if you would at the first part of verse 21. So Noah comes off the ark. He's thankful for what the Lord has done. He's found the goodness of the Lord. He, he builds this altar. He makes this sacrifice. And look at how verse 21 is phrased at the beginning. The Lord smelled... The pleasing aroma, and he said in his heart, we'll get there in just a second. I just want to be clear. I want to step aside and explain this just for a second. Some of you are going to think this is silly to say, but I just want to be clear because some people misunderstand this. The Bible's not saying the Lord actually has a nose and can smell things. I want to be clear about that, okay? This is a sense, and what we do in Scripture, we see this in, in many different occasions. It's an anthropomorphism. It means that we kind of attribute human characteristics to the Lord so we can better understand It's not as if he actually smelled and it was good to him. The simple idea in this understanding of verse 21 is that he was pleased with what Noah had done. So Noah makes this sacrifice and the Lord is pleased. And because he's pleased, look at what he says in the second part of verse 21. Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. There's this interesting idea, and we kind of tie this together, what what Noah realized about the Lord. Worshiping the Lord and seeing the goodness of the Lord and offering himself to the Lord. When Noah did that, the Lord was pleased. So let's make the connection here in our world today. The Lord is pleased with you when you trust and worship Him. When you seek the Lord, when you desire to know Him more, that pleases the Lord. I I was reading a scholar in one of the commentaries this week, and he kind of had this long explanation, kind of talking through this and explaining through this, and he was drawing an analogy from this passage of Scripture. And he said, when when Noah offered up to faith the Lord this sacrifice on this altar, it pleased the Lord. And so he kind of took the flip side of that. He said, if sometimes you do things without trusting the Lord or without placing your faith in Him or without being obedient to the Lord, the Lord is displeased with that. And he kind of went into this explanation of church. He said, sometimes people show up to church and they think showing up is just enough. They think just getting up and putting their clothes on and brushing their teeth and driving and sitting in the pew for an hour is enough as if that pleases the Lord. But I think we need to be careful. When we show up, we need to show up with intent. Lord, I'm ready to hear from you. I have faith that you're going to speak to me this morning. I have trust that you're going to change my heart through the truth of your word. Now, if I step on your toes, forgive me for saying this, but if you just show up because it's Sunday morning, and that's the thing you've always done, and you don't come expecting or willing to listen and to learn, I think you need to seek the Lord a little more on what you're doing. My prayer for you is you keep doing that so one day the Lord will invade your heart and change your mind. But man, we're called to be different, aren't we? We're not called to be like the world. And when we place our faith in the Lord, place our trust in Him, when we desire to offer ourselves to Him in sacrifice, the Bible's clear, that pleases the Lord. But it's neat to me how he phrases this because it's... A difficult thing we read in the middle part of verse 21. I want you to look at it with me again. Bring that up if you would, please. 821. So the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, right? So he 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 likes what Noah has done. He likes the sacrifice. And he said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of the man, right? So I'm not going to do this again. And we're going to see this with a rainbow here in a couple of weeks. Even though, this is the difficult part, right? I'm not going to do this again. Even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. If you're taking notes, you ought to underline that. This is kind of a tough pill to swallow, but here's what the Lord says. Humans are sinful, aren't they? <laughs> We're evil in the words of Scripture. You say, I don't, I don't, I don't feel evil. I don't, I don't feel sinful. Just because you don't feel sinful doesn't mean you're not, Okay? What the Lord says here is He looks down upon the people of the earth. He says, you know, these these people are sinful. They're wicked. They rebel against me. And by the way, it's not going to take long before sin hits again. We're going to see that very clearly. It doesn't take long. But the Lord makes this beautiful, I think, just picture. He shows us this beautiful picture of His love for us. Even though we're sinful, even though we're wicked, Even though every inclination of our heart is evil from childhood, from the beginning, even though we're we're wretched and separated from Him, He still loves us. Isn't that a beautiful picture of who He is? Not only does He love us, but centuries from this point, He's going to send His Son to die on the cross for our sins. It's a picture of His mercy and His grace and His love, even as He's aware of our sinfulness He's more aware of our need for a Savior. So he looks upon Noah. He sees the sacrifice and the offering. He's pleased. He's pleased because Noah has given of himself and trusted the Lord and has worshipped the Lord. And because he now has made this promise that I'm never going to do this again, it's going to lead to a blessing. So now let's take a look in Genesis 9 as we continue our study. Genesis 9, we're going to read the first three verses in Paul's and look at the next few. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them... Now let me just call... I want to give you just a a little precursor here to where I'm going. Put your thinking caps on for a second, right? Like you're back... I know it's summer, but we can think just a little bit over the course of the summer. It's all right. Think for a second with me. I want you to notice a few things. As we're reading through these few passages, I want you to kind of remember Genesis 1 and 2. We're going to make some interesting connections here in just a second back to the creation of 1 and 2. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, "...be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hands." Everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I now give you everything. Here's the second truth I want you to see, and we're going to unpack this for a couple of minutes. Number two, God provides guidance for his recreated world. God's going to provide guidance now in these passages of Scripture and in the next few for his recreated world. Now, I've used this theme of recreation several times in the last few weeks. And I've talked about how the Lord kind of destroyed and did away with the old. And because of His love for for Noah and because Noah was righteous and His love for humanity, even though we're evil, He's recreated. And we talked about how the flood would have changed so many things. We kind of went through a list of how it would have changed the earth physically, spiritually, how it changed the people on the earth, the animals, and all the things that are different. But when Noah and his family walk off the ark, there's this sense, and I want you to see this biblically, so I'm going to point that out to you in a few minutes. There's this sense that the Lord has now recreated. He wants to continue to bless, He wants to continue to use, but He's going to do it in a manner very similar to the way He did in Genesis 1 and 2. So I want you to bear with me just for a few minutes, because I want to point some scripture out to you that I think is very interesting. It'll help us understand that this isn't just a flood that destroyed the world. This is a recreation. And so what we begin to see is Noah, in in a lot of ways, is like a second Adam. He's called to do all the things that Adam did after the Lord destroyed the earth. And so I want to point a few verses out for you. I think we have them on the screen. You're welcome to flip back and forth if you want to. But I want to point them out so you can kind of see them with your own eyes. And see this comparison between the original creation and now the recreation after the flood. So Genesis 1, 1 and 2. I think we have that up. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. You'll remember these passages very clearly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the water. And I just pause there for a second. So there's this is the sense before creation, right? That the water covered the earth. That there was chaos. That the earth was formless. And that it was empty. And from that original water in Genesis 1 and 2, right? From, from the earth being covered in water, God is now going to create everything. He's going to form everything. He's going to prepare everything so Adam and Eve can live and so His glory can be spread to the earth. Now we see the same idea. We fast forward to the flood, The flood covers the earth, right? There's chaos. The earth is formless. The earth is empty from this water. Now God is going to recreate through Noah and his family and his sons and their wives. He's going to recreate the earth and he's going to bestow upon them all the same blessings he gave to Adam and Eve. See the comparison and the similarities here. Flip back now to Genesis 3, verse 8. I think we have this one on the screen. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. Then God made man and his wife, excuse me. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. There's the sense here that Adam and Eve walked with the Lord. There's a sense that they were righteous, that they listened to Him, that they followed Him. The the very idea that the Lord would just kind of walk around in the cool of the day and fellowship with Him and walk with Him in the garden is just a beautiful picture of God's love and his, His companionship and His desire to have a relationship with Adam and Eve. So we see that in the original creation, Genesis chapter 3. Now fast forward to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. We have this one on the screen. Again, we're comparing the original creation... To the recreation. We're comparing Adam to Noah. Genesis chapter 6 verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless among the people of his time. And he walked faithfully with God. So we're beginning to make this case now. That God is recreating. He's done away with the earth. He's done away with the people. But he hasn't done away with his promises. He hasn't done away with his blessings He hasn't done away with his desire to use people to reach the world. Now look at Genesis chapter 1 again. I've got several verses here as we think about the spoken word of the Lord. In fact, if you were to read through Genesis 1, you would see over and over that the Lord speaks. So Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light. Go to the next one. Verse 20, and God said, let the water team. Go to the next one, verse 26. And God said, let us make man, and on and on the list goes, right? There's these instances over and over where the Lord speaks, and He speaks clearly into the heart of what's going on in creation. And every time the Lord speaks, every time the Lord says something, things change. Now fast forward to Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. I think we have this one on the screen. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, right? There's the parallel again. God's going to speak truth in their heart. God's going to speak truth into their life. Every time the Lord speaks, things change. Now let me just draw a conclusion. And I've got a lot more here and I'm not going to be able to get into all of them. There's a lot of comparisons here. But here's what I want you to understand about this. As we see what the Lord did in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And we see what the Lord does now in Genesis really 7, 8 and 9. We understand that sometimes, and this is kind of the applications we think through our lives. Sometimes the Lord has to kind of remove and destroy the old in order to build and move forward with the new. You ever thought about that? See, God's looked down upon the earth and He still wants to bless the earth. And He still wants to use the people of the earth. And He still wants to rule over the earth. And in order to do that, God's got to remove the old and He's got to replace the old with the new. And so he's done this now with Noah. He's done this with Noah's family. He's he's looked down and he's changed the earth. He's made it a new world. He's called Noah now out of the boat. He's blessed them. He's given them some clear regulations about how they live. And he's made them some promises. And he's made them some some commitments and blessed them in certain ways. And now we're going to kind of finish up this morning by looking at verse 4. Verse 4 says he's still speaking to Noah. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it, right? Now, if we were to go back to verse 3, and, and you can kind of research this on your own. I want to make just a kind of a point to help you understand. Up until the flood, all the people of the earth were called to eat vegetation. The Bible says that in Genesis. It says it early in the creation. But the Lord makes this distinction now that now you can actually eat the meat. In fact, He says everything that lives and moves will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I now give you everything. So there's, there's this understanding here that before the flood, people ate greens, they ate vegetables and fruits only. After the flood, the Lord now gives them permission to eat animals. But he puts this kind of disclaimer in verse 4. You must not eat meat that has lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans their blood shall be shed. For in the image of God has created mankind. As for you, in verse 7, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Here's truth number three. God desires His glory to be displayed in all the earth. God desires His glory to be displayed in all the earth. I want to point something out to you here, and I want you to bring these two verses up if you would for me Wanda, here in just a second. The first seven verses of Genesis chapter 9 are kind of this little grouping, and they're interesting bookends in verse 1 and verse 7. I want you to notice these bookends. Bring, if you would, Genesis 9, 1 up for me, please. God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, right here's the command, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. Now, Genesis 9, 7. As for you, be fruitful, increase in number, multiply on the earth, and increase upon it. Right? There's this sense that he's saying to Noah the same sort of thing he said to Adam and Eve. I've saved you. I've brought you off this boat. Now, your calling is to go into the earth, be fruitful, multiply, increase in number as you go out to the earth. But I want to kind of make this statement, and I want you to understand as we think through it here for the next couple of minutes. Certainly there's a calling of Adam and Eve and certainly there was a calling of Noah and his family to increase as far as children were concerned. There's this idea of growing society. We we get that. But I think beyond that, there was this sense of understanding that I have created you in my image. I have displayed through you my glory And so your calling now, Adam and Eve, your calling, Noah and family, is to go into all the earth and increase and display my glory throughout the world. Jim Hamilton, who's a professor at Southern Seminary, has written a very interesting book with this in mind. I want you to listen to what he says. The charge to Adam to fill the earth and subdue it is a priestly charge to expand the borders of Eden So that God's dwelling will be the whole earth. Thus, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Now we've kind of made a connection now, right? We've made a connection between Noah and Adam. We've seen that what the Lord called Adam to do, He's still calling Noah to do. We see that the blessing He placed upon Adam, He's also placed upon Noah. We see that the calling to be fruitful and to multiply and to go into all the earth was given to Adam and Eve. It's also given to Noah and his family. And I would make the argument, this is where the application occurs for you. If Adam and Eve and Noah and all their descendants were called to go into the world and to display the glory of the Lord, I would argue that that's still our calling today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your calling is to display the glory of the Lord everywhere you go. Now, there are all kinds of verses that say this. Numbers 14, 21, the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Isaiah 6, 3, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. Habakkuk 2.14, they will neither harm nor, nor destroy all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We see all these different instances. We see all these different verses, all these different occasions where we talk about the glory of the Lord. We talk about the power of the Lord, and we see this calling now from Adam to Noah, on through the patriarchs, all through the Old Testament and into our lives today. Our calling, very simply as followers of Jesus Christ, is to display the glory of the Lord in all that we do. Now let's apply that just for a second as we kind of wind this thing down this morning. Far too many people wonder about their purpose in life, don't they? Far too many people wonder about their calling. Lord. Why am I here, Lord? (laughs) What is my purpose? What have you called me to do? And I would argue that the Lord calls us all individually to different things. We're gifted in different areas. He calls us to different relationships and different places. and, And we're all different in that respect. But I would argue that the foundation of who we are, at the core of who we are as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, our calling very simply is to display the glory of the Lord. And if you begin to understand that... As your foundational purpose in life, imagine how that would change the way you lived. If you thought your only purpose in life was to bring glory to the Lord, imagine how you would treat your family differently. Imagine how things would look at home. Husband, imagine how you would treat your wife differently. Wife, imagine how you would treat your husband differently. Children who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ, imagine how you would treat your mom and dad differently. Imagine how you treat your teachers differently. Dads, if we thought our only calling was to bring glory to the Lord in all things, imagine how we would respond differently when things didn't go our way. You hit a golf ball in the lake and you're going to display the glory of the Lord in that moment, right? Imagine how you speak differently to your boss. Imagine how you speak differently to your employees. Students, when you didn't do as well as you thought you should or a teachers kind of own you for something maybe you didn't even think you'd do, imagine how you would respond differently. I just think if, th- if this really becomes foundation to who we are, if it becomes foundational to our life and our understanding of our walk and our understanding of, of, our, of our calling and our purpose in life, it ought to mean that we look different from the world, shouldn't it? It ought to mean we act differently, we, we respond differently, we think differently, we live differently. Why? Because we are a child of the Lord, created in his image, and given this very clear calling to go into all the world and to display his glory to all that would hear. You know, I I know in a congregation this size well enough, a congregation this size well enough that there are people that have come this morning with some baggage. In fact, I look out at the congregation and I know some of the stories of some of the baggage some of you are dealing with. Some of you have been dealing with these things for a long time. Maybe it's a situation in your family. Maybe it's a personal struggle you're going through. Maybe it's a sin you've gotten caught up in. But there's something going on you're dealing with. Some of you have been dealing with that for a long time. I, I just want to encourage you. Just as the Lord looked down upon the earth and He made this decision, sometimes we've got to remove the old to make way for the new. You say, I've tried, man. If you only knew, I've tried. I've struggled with this for a long time now, with this family situation or work or this sin. Or You, you fill in the gap. We've all got those things. You say, I've tried, Adam, and I've done the best I can. I've worked, and I've, I've slaved, and I've read, and I've, I've, done all the, I've talked to people. I've done all these things, and I can't seem to shake it. I just want to ask you the question, have you given it to the Lord? Because it's always been the case through Scripture that if you want to remove the old and make room for the new, you've got to have Christ to do it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Listen to these words. The old has gone and the new is here. I just want to encourage you and challenge you this morning. If you've been struggling with something and you realize there's a lot of old in your life, sometimes we need to allow the Lord to come in and just get rid of all the old to make room for the new. Because when we do that and we allow the Lord to kind of recreate us, we have hope and joy and peace unimaginable. But it's only found through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we love You and we serve You and we trust You and we thank You for the truth You've given us in Your Word the account of of Noah and the flood and his faithfulness, Father, and and all you did is incredible. Father, I pray we would take from that just a lot of truth to apply to our lives, Father, but I pray that we would kind of understand foundationally our calling to bring you glory, to live for you, Father, to be different than the rest of the world, to, to demonstrate your grace in our lives moment by moment by moment. Father, and I pray when we do that, when we seek you and trust you, Father, I pray that you would very slowly begin to remove the old sometimes things we're not even aware of sometimes things we don't even think about but I pray Lord that we would begin to remove the old and through our faith in Christ he would make us new (laughs) we'd be a new creation Father a beautiful picture of your love and your grace and your mercy to display to all the earth your power working in our lives Lord help us to be that person Help us to be that believer, that man, that woman, that student, that child who seeks you and trusts you in all things. And then you take the old, Father, and through the power of the Spirit, you make it new for your honor and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can stand. We want to open up the altar as we always do. Maybe you want to spend some time thinking about your walk. Maybe you need to pray about the old and the new. Maybe you need to... Accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins. Maybe you want to join the church. We're going to give you a chance to respond. You come as we sing together. Thank you for joining today's sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. Use the Contact Us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.